Good evening, sloggy kiddos. Once again, it's time to read. It is the 28th of July, 2022. And I'm up at work. It's a Thursday. I've got a little less than a week to go, but i still got quite a few days, so I keep plugging along with things that uh, make me happy. And that is reading to you guys, reading stories. Now... I know Shiloh isn't the most exciting story, and it's written in a real humble, colloquial, down-home, kind of country-ish uh, fashion, you know, like just that style where it's first person of Marty telling his story, but it is it is a nice story about how much he wants to help Shiloh and rescue him from this really bad guy, which, I mean, I think we all agree, um, Shiloh's owner is a bad guy and has a totally bad view of how to treat dogs and animals. And Marty's intentions are really good, but I think we're going to learn some lessons. Even if the book isn't super on the edge of your seat, exciting, jumping into different dimensions, um, you know, fighting dragons and monsters. Actually, uh, Marty's kind of fighting some huge enemies that are on the inside of him. And uh, also his, uh, you know, his foe. What's his name? What's the bad guy's name? The um, Judd Travers. Yeah, he's at odds with old Judd, but anyways, that seems like Marty's worst enemy is like his own choices and his own conscience. But anyways, not to come down too hard on Marty, Marty but let's keep reading here. Uh, we stopped at the end of chapter seven and Marty was kind of digging a little deeper into his lies and misdirection and ingenuousness and deceit towards his sister. Um, who came up the hill looking for him. That's Daryl Lynn. And what do we know about Daryl Lynn? She's really afraid of snakes. And, okay, this this is bad because Marty is really playing, playing on her fear of snakes. And he lies to her and says there's like 29 snakes up on the hill that he could see. And the poor thing is just scared because she is afraid of snakes. She's a little girl. So... I think this is probably the worst thing Marty is doing is lying to his family and but he's a he's a young boy and he's messing with his sister too so we're not going to judge him we're just going to say what he's doing isn't the best thing isn't the right thing so not that I ever messed with my sister when I was 10 years old or Gideon you've never messed with your sister your sisters, right? I didn't think so. All right, chapter eight. Next two days go by smooth as buttermilk. Shiloh gets biscuits or toast and a couple bites of ham for breakfast. And then in the evening, I fix him up some frankfurters cut up and mixed with sour cream and little chunks of cheese. He don't much like the cheese. It sticks to his teeth and he turns his head sideways when he chews trying to get it off. Licks his chops afterward, though. He throws up the first time he eats the stuff. Too rich for his belly, I guess. But after that, he manages to keep it down. And all the while, he's fattening out a little. Each day, it's harder to see his ribs. I know my secret can't go on forever, though. Only had the dog for six days. And that evening... I found out that Judd Travers wants to hunt on our land. Up the hill and over in the far woods. Thinks maybe he could find himself some quail over there, he says. When Dad tells us that the piece that that piece of news at dinner, my whole body goes cold. I want to jump up and scream, no! But I just gripped my chair and waited out. Ray, I don't like that idea at all, 
Ma says. You never asked to hunt on his land, and I don't want him hunting on ours. If we let him, we've got to let anyone else who asks. And one of those shots could find its way down here. I'll tell him no, Dad says. Don't like the idea of it myself. I'll tell him the kids play up there. I stopped gripping the chair, but my heart still goes on thumping hard. I'm thinking how maybe Judd Travers has hold of the idea that I got his dog hid up there and he's looking for an excuse to snoop around. Having Shiloh a secret is like a bomb waiting to go off. Next day, Dad comes home with more news. Good news for him, bad news for me. Can't figure it out, he says, walking through the door with a sack in his hands. Folks are talking, taken to leaving me food in their mailboxes, Lou. Used to be it was just Mrs. Ellison and her banana bread, but found me a ham sandwich today in Nora Klingle's box and half a baked pie in the Saunders's. I look thin to you or something? Ma laughs. Maybe it's just you're the best mail carrier they have ever had on the route. Well, we got half a pie for dessert tonight anyways, Dad says. Oh, brother, I say to myself. Maybe Mr. Wallace is doing more talking than I figured. He wouldn't come right out and tell folks I was in a store buying cheap food. But... He might just pass it along that the Preston family's in hard times and suddenly food starts appearing. That's the way it is here. The next day, Ma rides into town with Dad, taking the girls along and goes shopping for new sneakers for Daryl Lynn and socks and underpants for Becky. First time I have the whole place to myself and I let Shiloh run pure free. Bring him down the hill to the house, feed him the heels off a loaf of new bread, all the leftover sausage from breakfast, and a bowl of milk. Then I let him lick the oatmeal pan. Show him every one of her four rooms, hold him in my lap on the porch swing, and laugh when he tries to stand up on the seat himself when the swing's moving. I let him smell the couch where I sleep and crawl under the front steps to sniff out the moles lives under there. Follow him all over creation when he takes out after a rabbit. Then he gives up when he sees I'm not going to shoot that rabbit no way. But I figure my luck's going to run out if I don't get him back to his pen soon. So about noon, I take him back. And he goes right to the gunny sacks I'm in the lean-to. He's so tuckered out. It's just in time, because when I get back and get the dishes done for Ma, the house picked up some. I look out here, and here she comes up the lane with Darlin' and Becky in their packages. Somebody gave him a lift. You can always count on that around friendly. Ma's pleased I got the dishes done, I can tell. Nice to come back to a clean house, Marty, she tells me. Had good luck with my shopping, too. Wasn't a thing I bought that wasn't on sale. Dara Lynn's wore her new sneakers home and got a blister already, but she don't care. She's so glad to have something new. When I walk in the kitchen next, Ma's looking at her face in the mirror over the sink. Got her eyebrows raised high. Then she pushes them low and raises them up again. May, when she sees me studying her, she says, Marty, I got frown lines on my face. Tell me the truth now. I looked at her good. Sure don't see any, I say. I don't neither. Ma's got a pretty face. Plain but smooth. Well, I don't either. But two people this morning asked me how I was feeling, and one of them wants to tell me what to take for headaches. I figure that if folks think I have headaches, I must be doing a lot of frowning. Whoop, whoop, whoop. 
That's my heart. Folks think they got a remedy for something. They'll they'll tell it to you whether you need it or not, I say. Sound so grown up I hardly recognize myself. So scared inside, though, my stomach shaking. Ma's taking out all the things she bought and putting them in the, on the table, taking the price tags off Becky's underpants and socks. I saw David's mother at the dollar store, she says, and they got relatives coming in tonight. She wanted to know if she'd bring David up here tomorrow when the rest of them go to Parkersburg. I told her yes. Okay, I say, but all the while I'm thinking what I'm going to do with David to keep him off that hill. Taking, up to, taking him up toward the old Shiloh schoolhouse, maybe, and walk along the river. Funny thing is, you've got yourself a dog. You sometimes feel like you don't need anyone else. Used to be I'd be waiting at the window for David Howard to come up here for a visit. Nobody else loves you as much as a dog. Uh, except your ma, maybe. That night, ma makes us fried chicken for supper. First time in a long while. I put away a wing and a thigh on a saucer. To eat later, I tell Ma. And add a spoonful of squash, which might be good for Shiloh's insides. He eats anything. The frankfurters and cheese and sour cream is all gone. So I got to be watching for table scraps again and go out can collecting soon. Dad's working on the pickup after dinner, changing the oil. Becky and Darylin's turning some somersaults in the grass, then Ma's cleaning the kitchen. Soon as her back is turned, I sneak the food off the saucer and head up the hill to see Shiloh. I can tell Shiloh likes the fried chicken better than he liked the sour cream and frankfurter mess he'd been eating all week. He even eats the squash. And then he licks my hands and fingers to get all the salt off. Any place I'd touched a piece of chicken. Since I'd already taken him all over creation that morning, I didn't feel he'd miss much if I don't take him out again. So I go around scooping up all the dog do, like I do every day. Toss it over the fence. And then I lie down on my back in the grass and cover my face with my arms. Our favorite game. Shiloh goes nuts trying to uncover my face, nudging on my arms with his nose, tail going 90 miles an hour. Never whines like some dogs do, though. Even when we're out on the far meadow, racing the wind, he'll start to bark and I'll say, Shh, Shiloh! And he stops right off. Wish I could let him make a little noise. It's not natural, I know to keep an animal so quiet. But he's happy quiet, not scared quiet. I know that much. I move my arms off my face after a while and let him rest his paws on my chest. And I'm lying there petting his head. And he's got this happy dog smile on his face. The breeze is blowing cool air in from the west. And I figure... I'm about as happy right then as you can get in your whole life. And then I hear someone say, Marty. I look up and there's Ma. Chapter 9 I can't move. Seems as if the sky is swirling around above me, tree branches going every which way. Ma's face looks different from down on the ground. Shiloh, of course, goes right over, tail wagging, but all the steam's gone out of me. How long you had this dog up here? She asks, not one trace of a smile on her face. I sit up real slow and swallow. About a week, I guess. You've had Judd's dog up here a week, and you told him you don't know where it was. Didn't say I didn't know. He asked had I seen him, and I said I hadn't seen him in our yard. 
that much was true. Ma comes around to the trunk of the pine tree, unfastens the wire that holds the fencing closed, and lets herself in. She crouches down in the soft pine needles, and Shiloh starts leaping up on her with his front paws, licking at her face. I can't tell at first how she feels about him, the way she leans back away from his dripping tongue. Then I see her hand reach out with its short, smooth fingers and stroke him. So we've got ourselves a secret, she says at last. And when I hear her say we, I feel some better. Not a lot, but some. How come you follow me up here tonight? I want to know. Now I can tell you for sure her eyes are smiling, but her lips are still set. Well, I had my suspicions before, but it was the squash that did it. The squash? Marty, I never knew you to eat more than a couple bites of squash in your life. And when you put away a spoonful of that to eat later, I knew for sure it wasn't you doing the eating. And then the way you've been sneaking off every night. She stops stroking Shiloh and turns to me. I wish you'd have told me. Figure you'd make me give him back. This dog don't belong to you. Mine more than Judd's, I said hotly. He only paid money for him. I'm the one who loves him. That doesn't make him yours. Not in the eyes of the law, it doesn't. Well, what kind of law is it, Ma, that lets a man mistreat his dog? Ma just sighs, then starts stroking Shiloh's head. Shiloh wiggles a few inches closer to her on his belly, rests his nose against her thigh, tail going wick, whack, wick, whack. Finally, Ma says, Your dad don't know about him? I shake my head. More silence. Then she says, I never kept a secret from your dad in the 14 years we've been married. You ain't gonna tell him? Marty, I've got to. He ever finds out about this dog and knows I knew but didn't tell him? How could he trust me? If I keep this secret from him, he'll think maybe there are more. He'll make me give him back to Judd, Ma. I could hear my voice shaking now. You know he will. What else can we do? I can feel hot tears in my eyes now and try to keep them from spilling out. I turn my head till they go away. Judd Travers ever comes here to get this dog, you'll have to fight me to get it. Marty. Listen, Ma, just for one night, promise you won't tell Dad so I can figure out something. I can tell she's thinking on it. You aren't fixing to run off with this dog, are you? Marty, don't you ever run away from a problem. I don't answer, because that very thing crossed my mind. I can't promise not to tell your dad tonight if you can't promise not to run off. I won't run off, I say. Then I won't tell him tonight. Or in the morning, neither, I add. I've got to have at least one day to think. Don't know what good it'll do, though. I've already thought till my brains are dry. Ma puts out both hands now and scratches behind Shiloh's ears and he licks her all up and down her arms. His name's Shiloh, I tell her, pleased. And after a while, Mom gets up. You coming back to the house now? In a bit, I answer. 
It's hard to say how I feel after she leaves. Glad, in a way, that somebody knows that I don't have to carry this whole secret on my head alone. But more scared than glad. Have me just one day to think of what to do and not any closer to an answer than I'd been before. I'd spent all my can money on stuff to feed Shiloh. Only money I have now to my name is a nickel I'd found out by the road. Judd won't sell me Shiloh's spit for a nickel. My first thought is to give him to somebody else and not tell them whose dog it is. Then tell Ma that Shiloh had run off. But that would be two more lies to add to the pack. Word would get out somehow or another, and Judd would see David Howard or Mike Wells walking his dog. And then the war would really start. All I can think of is to take Shiloh down to Friendly the next day. Draw me up a big sign that says, Free! world's best dog or something and hold it up along the road to sistersville hoping that some stranger driving along would get a warm spot in his heart for shiloh stop his car and take him home and i won't ask him where home is he neither so when ma asks me where the dog is i can tell her honest i don't know when i get back to the house dad's just washing up at the pump using grease to get the oil off his arms. He's yelling at Daryl Lynn and Becky, who are playing in the doorway, screened wide open, letting in the moths. I go outside, and Ma's putting the dishes away in the kitchen, lifting them out of the drain rack and stacking the plates on the shelf. She's got the radio on, and it's is humming along with a country music song. It's you I want to come home to, it's you to bake my bread. It's you to light my fire. It's you to share my bed. She sort of blushes when she sees me there by the refrigerator, listening to her sing. I know I'm not going to sleep much that night. I sit on the couch, staring at the TV, but not really watching, while Ma gives Becky her bath. Then I wait till Daryl Lynn is out of the bathroom so I can take my own bath. Don't know if I soaked up or not. Don't even know if I washed my feet. I go back in the living room, and Ma has my bed made up there on the sofa. The house gets dark, the doors close, and then just the night sounds come from outside. Know there's a piece of cardboard somewhere out in the shed I can print on. There won't be any trouble getting Shiloh to friendly, either. I'll put that rope on his collar, and he'll follow me along good as anything. We won't take the main road, though, in case Judd's out in his truck. Take every back road I can find. Then I'll plant myself on the road to Sistersville, holding that sign, Shiloh waiting beside me, wondering what it is we're going to do next. What am I fixing to do anyway? Give him to the first car that stops? Don't even know the person driving. Might even be I'll give Shiloh to somebody who'll treat him worse than Judd Travers. Now that Shiloh's come to trust me, here I am getting ready to send him off again. I feel like there's a tank truck sitting on my chest. I can't hardly breathe. Got one day to decide what to do with Shiloh, and nothing I think on seems right. I hear Shiloh making a noise up on the far hill in his pen. Not now, Shiloh, I whisper. You've been good as gold all the time. Don't start now. Can it be that he knows what I'm fixing to do? Then I hear a yelp, a loud yelp, then a snarl and a growl, and suddenly the air is filled with yelps, and it's the worst kind of noise you can think of. A dog being hurt. I leap out of bed, thrust my feet into my sneakers, and with shoelaces flying, I'm racing through the kitchen toward the back door. A light comes on. I can hear Dad's voice saying, Get a flashlight. But I'm already out the back porch, then running up the hill. There are footsteps behind me. Dad's gaining on me. 
can hear Shiloh howl like he's been torn in two, and my breath comes shorter and shorter, trying to get there in time. By the time I reach the pen, Dad's caught up with me, and he's got the flashlight turned toward the noise. The beam searches out the pine tree, the fencing, the lean-to, and then I see this big German shepherd, mean as nails, hunched over Shiloh there on the ground. The shepherd's got blood on his mouth and jaws, and as Dad takes another step forward, it leaps over the fence, same way it got in, and takes off through the woods. I unfasten the wire next to the pine tree, legs like rubber hardly holding me up. I kneel down by Shiloh. He's got blood on his side, his ear a big open gash on one leg, and he doesn't move, not an inch. I bend over, my forehead against him, my hand on his head. He's dead, I know it. I'm screaming inside. Then I feel his body sort of shiver and his mouth's moving just a little, like he's trying to get his tongue out to lick my hand. And I'm bent over there in the beam of Dad's flashlight, bawling, and I don't even care. Chapter 10 Dad's beside me, holding the flashlight up to Shiloh's eyes. Shiloh's still alive. This Judd Travers's dog? I sit back on my heels and nod, wipe one arm across my face. Dad looks around. Take those gunny sacks over there and put them in the back of the jeep, he says. And then, still holding the flashlight in one hand, he slips his arms around under Shiloh and picks him up. I can see Shiloh wince and pull back on his leg where it hurts. The tears are spilling out of my eyes, but Dad can't see him in the dark. He can probably tell I'm crying, though, because my nose is clogged. Dad, I say, please don't take him back to Judd. Judd will take one look at Shiloh and shoot him. Take those gunny sacks to the Jeep, like I said, Dad tells me, and I follow behind as we go down the hill. I keep my mouth open to let the breath escape, crying without making a sound, just like Shiloh. Ma's watching from inside, the screen all covered with June bugs where they've been buzzing around at night around the light. Daryl ends up standing there in her nightshirt and watching. What is it? What's he got? Daryl says, pestering Ma's arm. A dog, Ma says. And then she calls out, Ray, is it alive? Just barely, says Dad. I put the gunny sacks in the Jeep, and Dad carefully lays Shiloh down. Without waiting to ask, I crawl in the Jeep beside Shiloh, and Dad don't say no. He goes in the house for his trousers and his keys, and then we're off. I'm sorry, Shiloh, I whisper. Over and over, both hands on him so he won't try to get up. The blood's just pouring from a rip in his ear. I'm so sorry. Jesus, help me. I didn't know Baker's dog could leap that fence. When we get to the bottom of the lane, instead of going up the road toward Judd's place, Dad turns left toward Friendly. And halfway around the first curve, he pulls in Doc Murphy's driveway. Light's still on in the window. But I think old Doc was in bed because he come to the door in his pajamas. Ray Preston, he says when he sees Dad. I sure am sorry to bother you this hour of the night, Dad says. But I got a dog here, hurt bad. And if you could take a look at him, see if he can be saved. I'd be much obliged. We'll pay. I'm no vet, says Doc Murphy, but he's already standing aside, holding the screen door open with one hand so we can carry Shiloh in. 
The doc's a short man, round belly. Don't seem to practice what he preaches about eating right. But he's got a kind heart. And he lays out some newspapers on his kitchen table. I'm shaking so hard I can see my own hands tremble as I keep one on Shiloh's head, the other on a front paw. He's sure bleeding good, I can tell you that, Doc Murphy says. He puts on his stethoscope and listens to Shiloh's heart. Then he takes his flashlight and shines it in the dog's eyes, holding each eye open with his finger and thumb. Finally, he looks at the big, ugly wound on Shiloh's hurt leg, torn open right to the bone. The bite's around Shiloh's neck and the ripped ear. I turn my head away and sniffle some more. I'll do what I can, Doc says. The thing we got to worry about now is infection. That leg wound is going to take 20, 30 stitches. What happened? I figure Dad will answer for me, but he don't. He just turns to me. Marty? I swallow. Big old German shepherd chewed him up. Doc Murphy goes over to the sink and washes his hands. Baker's dog. Every time that shepherd gets loose, there's trouble. He comes back to the table and takes a big needle out of his bag. Fills a full of something. Something to make Shiloh numb, maybe. This your dog, son? I shake my head. No. He looks at me, then at Dad. Dad still won't say nothing. And makes me do the talking. While the doc leans over Shiloh and slowly inserts the needle in his side, I get up the nerve. It's Judd Traverses, I tell him. I gotta start practicing the truth sometime. Judd Traverses? This the dog he's missing. How come you brought it in? I had him, I say. Doc sucks in his breath and lets it out a little of a t at a time. Oh, oh. Whew, he says, and then goes about his work. Don't know how long we're there in Doc's kitchen. Dad standing over against the wall, arms folded, me with my hands cupped over Shiloh's head, while Doc Murphy washes the wounds, and dresses them, and starts stitching the skin back up. Once or twice I feel Shiloh jerk like it hurts him. But when he lays too still, I don't know if it's because he's numb or if he's dying. The next 24 hours, we'll know if this dog's going to live, the doc says. You check with me tomorrow evening. We'll have an I some idea then. I can keep him here for a day or two, Ray. Then, if he makes it, you can take him on home. I put my face down near Shiloh's again, my mouth next to his ear. Live, Shiloh, live, I whisper. Hardest thing in the world is to leave Shiloh there at Doc Murphy's. The way his eyes follow me over to the doorway. The way his muscles move, like he's trying to get up when he sees me leaving. Second hardest thing is to crawl in the jeep with Dad afterward. There isn't a word passed between us till we get home. Once Dad turns the motor off, though, and I'm all set to get out, he says, Marty, what else don't I know? What? I ask. You keeping Judd's dog up there on our hill? Got a place for him all built? Never letting on? What else you keeping from me? Nothing, Dad. How do I know that's not another lie? Because it's not. You saying so don't make it true. I know then, I know then what Ma meant. But it's 
not all so black and white as Dad makes it out to be, neither. And sometimes, when I get mad, it clears my head. You would have thought more of me if I'd let that dog wander around till Judd found it again, kick the daylights out of him? I ask. That what you want me to do, Dad? I want you to do what's right. What's right? For once in my eleven years, I think I have my dad stumped. Leastways, seems to be thirty, forty seconds before he answers. You got to go by the law. The law says a man that pays money for a dog owns that dog. You don't agree with the law? Then you work to change it. What if there isn't time, Dad? Shiloh could be dead by the time somebody's looked into the way Judd treats his dogs. Dad's voice is sharp. You think Judd Travers is the only one around here hard-hearted towards his animals? You think he's the only one who starves him or kicks him or worse? Open up your eyes, Marty. Open your eyes. Now, Dad half turns in his seat, back resting against the door, facing me. How many times have you walked to the school bus and seen a chained-up dog in somebody's yard? How many times have you ever put your mind to whether or not it's happy, its ribs sticking out like handles on, its, on the sides? Suddenly, you're face-to-face -face with a dog that pulls at your heart, and you all at once want to change things. I swallow. There's got to be a first time, I answer. Dad sighs. You're right about that, he says. I'm pushing my luck, I know. If Doc Murphy don't tell Judd about Shiloh, can we bring him back here and keep him? I could build him a better pen, make the fence high enough so the shepherd can't get in. Dad opens the jeep door on his side. No, he says and gets out. I get out too. Just till Shiloh's better then. You know how Judd treats anything that don't work right. He'll shoot Shiloh, Dad. I found a dog once before over near Judd's place with a bullet hole in his head. We could at least get Shiloh well. I'm going to pay Doc Murphy's bill. I promise you that. You get all over you get all my can money for the next three years, and I'll deliver the country paper too, if I get the chance. Honest, I promise. Dad studies me. You can keep him here till he's well. That's all. Then we're taking him back to Judd. And he goes in the house. My heart starts pounding again. Thumpity thump, thumpity thump. There's still time, I'm thinking. Shiloh's still alive, and I ain't licked yet. All right, we are at chapter 11. Let's read one more. It's only after I lie back down on the couch that night that I realize what all I've done to Ma and Dad. For one thing, Ma's still awake. I can see the light in the bedroom as Dad goes on down the hall. And then I hear their voices. Not all of what they say, but enough. Ray, I told you I just found out about that dog myself. Secrets from me, you, and Marty. Till tomorrow. I would have told you then. Every day, the mail to Judd's place mentions that dog to me, and all the time, up upon my own property, me not even knowing. I bring my arms up against my ears and hold them there. So many things going wrong, it's hard to remember anything going right. Doc Murphy knows I've got Judd's dog now. Dad's mad at Ma. And we don't know till tomorrow if Shiloh's even going to make it. Worst of all, 
I brought Shiloh here to keep him from being hurt. And what that German shepherd done to him was probably worse than anything Judd Travers would have brought himself to do, short of shooting him anyways. This time, when the tears come again, I don't even fight. Don't even try holding back. I must have slept through Dad's going off to work the next morning, because when I wake, Becky's standing beside the couch, eating a piece of honey toast and breathing on my face. Daryl Lynn's already told her about the dog, because she asked right off, Where's it at, the doggy? I sit up and tell her that the dog's at Doc Murphy's, and we'll find out how he is that afternoon. Then I look in the kitchen at Ma. There's the set look about the lips that means trouble. That means don't mess with her, because she's already in trouble with Dad. I go outside, pick me a couple wormy peaches, and sit on the stoop eating at them, spitting out the wormy places. Daryl Lynn comes out and sits beside me. Today she's all kindness. Judd Travers don't take care of his dog, Marty. No wonder to come up here, she says, trying to say the right thing. I can tell she's been figuring it all out from what she could overhear between Ma and Dad and anything else Ma told her. I take another bite of peach. It wasn't like you stole him, she says. That dog come up here on its own. Just hush up, Darylin, I say, which I had no business saying. I don't want to talk to anyone, that's all. Well, you could have told me and I wouldn't have told anyone. Thanks. Ma says we got to give him back to Judd Travers when he's better. I get up and start toward the hill to clean up the ground where Shiloh was attacked. See if there's any way I can put some fence wire over the top of the pen to keep out the shepherd. What's his name, Marty? Darylin calls after me. Shiloh, I tell her. I'm only halfway up the hill when I hear a car and turn around. It's Mrs. Howard's car and David's in it. As soon as he sees me, he jumps out, still moving a little, and comes running toward me. I get to stay here today, he yells, waving a kite he's brought with him. Everyone else is going to Parkersburg and I don't want to go. I look over to where Ma and Mrs. Howard are talking and see Ma nodding her head. I get lonely sometimes at, up at her house, but today I want to be with that loneliness. Don't want to talk to Daryl Lynn, to Becky, to Dad, or even Ma. If we had a telephone, I'd be calling Doc Murphy every hour. As it is, I have to wait till Dad comes home from work before I can find out about Shiloh. Can't get down there pestering Doc. Him with patience to see. What do you want to do? I asked David, trying to dig up at least a little bit of enthusiasm. David and I are in the same grade, even though he's taller and heavier. Looks like junior high already. Try out this kite in your meadow, he says. I lead him around the long way, away from Shiloh's pen. And he doesn't even notice because he's unwrapping his kite. Made of silk or something, which one of his relatives brought him. We stand out in the meadow flying the kite, and I watch the blue and yellow and green tail whipping around in the breeze. And I'm thinking about Shiloh's tail, the way it wags. You get a dog on your mind, and it seems to fill up the whole space. Everything you do reminds you of that dog. When we bring the kite down later, though, David sees the groundhog, and next thing you know, he's after it. The groundhog zigzagging this way and that, and David yelling like crazy. I'm taking your kite back down to the house, David. I yell when I see him getting near Shiloh's pen. He goes on running and yelling. I'm going to take me a handful of soda crackers. You want me to make some peanut butter cracker sandwiches? I call out trying to get him to follow. And then his yelling stops. Hey, 
he says. I know he's found the pen, and I walk over. What's this? David asks. He looks at the blood on the ground. Hey, what happened here? I go over and yank his arm and make him sit down. He looks at me bug-eyed. You listen to me, David Howard, I say. Whenever I say David Howard, he knows it's serious. Only did it twice in my life. Once, when he sat on the paper flower pot I'd made for Ma at school, and once, when he saw me with my pants down in the bathroom. That really made me mad. But today I'm not mad, I'm serious. Something awful and terrible happened in there, David, and if you ever tell anyone, even your ma or dad, I will be so upset. That's the kind of talk my folks can't stand. But I got it from Grandma Preston. David's eyes are about to pop out of his head. What? He asks again. You know Judd Travers? He was murdered? No, but you know the way he's mean to his dogs. He killed one of his dogs in there? No. Let me tell it, David. You know how he's missing a dog? Yeah. Well, it come here on its own, and I let him stay. I built him a pen and kept him secret and, and named him Shiloh. David stares at me, then at the blood in the pen, then back at me again. Last night, I tell him, Baker's German shepherd jumped the fence and tore him up. We took Shiloh to Doc Murphy, and Judd don't know. David's mouth falls open and hangs there. Wow, he says, and says it again. I tell David how hurt Shiloh was, and how we've got to wait till tonight to see how he is, and then we go in his pen together, and David helps me clean up the blood, pull up all the grass with blood stains on it, and throw it over the fence into the woods. It's easier somehow with David helping, with David knowing even, if it was me by myself, I'd be thinking again and again how this never would have happened if Shiloh could have gotten away from the shepherd. I look at David and think we're friends for life. Then I think of how there are exactly seven people now who know I have Judd Travers's dog. And it's only a matter of time before somebody lets it out. Probably Becky. She'll warble it to the first person coming up the lane. Did you ever notice how the more a little kid tries not to tell a secret, the sooner it gets out? Nothing the child can do about it. A secret is just too big for a little kid. What I didn't expect... <coughs> excuse me. What I didn't expect was that at 3.30, before Dad come home, here's Doc Murphy's car chugging up the lane, and he's got Shiloh in the back seat. I'm standing out by the oak tree with David, taking turns on the bag swing, when I see the car and Shiloh's head raised up in the back seat. I'm over to that car in three seconds flat. Shiloh! No cry ever sounded so happy as the one that came up out of my throat. All of us were crowding around the car. Ma and Daryl Lynn and Becky and David Howard. And all of us are saying, Shiloh, here, boy. And holding out our hands. And Shiloh's trying to lick everything in sight. Patient recovered faster than I thought he would, Doc said, getting his big belly out from behind the steering wheel and standing up. So I figured I'd bring him over here myself. And then to Mother. Had patients coming in and out today and don't know that I wanted them to see the dog. She nodded. I'm going to pay you for this, Doc Murphy, I tell him. 
You send the bill to dad and he'll pay it, but then I'm paying him. Well, son, that's a generous thing to do with a dog not even yours, he says. Is he all well now? No, not by a long shot. Think it's going to take a couple weeks to heal, and I can't promise you he'll walk without a limp. But I got him sewn back up and full of antibiotics. You can keep him quiet for a few days, and off that leg, I think he'll pull through just fine. If Ma was mad at me before, she's not now. Not the way Shiloh's licking her all over, licking her all over both arms, getting a quick lick, lick in on her face every time she bends close. Becky's sticking her hand out for Shiloh to lick, and when he does, she squeals and pulls back. Shiloh's tail going like crazy. It's like a welcome home party. Ma has me bring in this cardboard box from the shed, and we put an old pillow in the bottom of it and cover it with a clean sheet. And Doc Murphy lays Shiloh down inside of it. Shiloh seems to know he can't walk too good because as soon as he tries to stand up, he sits back down again and licks at his leg. I'm glad Shiloh's back. I'm glad he's going to get better and that we can keep him till he's well. But the more I sit there petting his head, feeling his happiness, the more I know I can't give him up. I won't. And that's the end of chapter 11, kiddos. That's enough for this recording. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to keep reading tonight and uh, try and get through the rest of the chapters. Because even though this book is okay, it's not super... And I would love to talk to Andrew Peterson or S.D. Smith, but I think this author, if I ever sat down and talked to her, would just annoy me. Because, anyways, I shouldn't say that. Let's find out how this story ends, shall we? I'll keep reading here in a little bit. Love you, kiddos. Night, night.